rise of electromobility means there is also a rise of potential storage capacity just waiting to be plugged into the grid. Think of all the cars, buses and trucks that will sit just idle for hours on end and the benefit their batteries could provide to the grid. Hello, I'm David Weston, host of Energy Enablers. Now, I know I'm oversimplifying this scenario just a little bit, but many technology firms are looking at the role bi-directional charging could play in supporting the energy transition. In this episode of Energy Enablers, I am joined by Stefan Peres, Head of Pre-Development and Innovation for E-Mobility Charging Technologies at Siemens Smart Infrastructure. Here, we discuss the practicalities of using EV batteries on the grid and the business models and regulations that are being developed to back it up. I hope you enjoy our chat. Hi, Stefan. Thank you so much for joining us uh, on Energy Enablers today. Uh, We're talking about the primary benefits of bidirectional charging uh, for EVs and users. Could you perhaps go through some of those initial benefits uh, for the users and maybe for also the broader uh, electricity grid? So, hi Dave, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, let's let's jump into that one. So, benefits. Um, you know that we have a growing decarbonization uh, on this planet, and um, more and more renewables need to kick in in our energy mix. Um, and most of these renewables are intermittent, so wind and solar, are not uh, be generated every every hour. So we need to bridge the, the dark times, the days where no wind is uh, blowing, and um, we need a lot of storage for that. Um, and there might be pumped hydro storage is available, but the capacity is limited. Hydrogen might be a solution, but uh, actually we are not there yet. Might be in the future. So we need a near-term uh, storage solution. And at the same time, now we have a transition of the mobility sector, they also have to decarbonize. So more and more people get electric vehicle cars uh, to their homes and, and they have a storage battery anyhow sitting in front of the house. So the question is, why can't we use that amount of storage capacity, which sums up quite quite a lot. So I'll give you an example here in Germany, for instance, by 2030, around about four terawatt hours of storage capacity on wheels is expected. And um, the storage capacity requirement in that year is estimated to be only a 0.1 terawatt hour. So we could cover with the electric vehicles this intermittent storage capacity needs, um, which bidirectional charging is is the key to. And so bidirectional charging, that's a, that's a lot of capacity there. And while individual um, vehicles and pooling those are going to have a significant role, um, Companies with fleets of vehicles must have an even greater uh, opportunity here. Does bidirectional charging have a greater role to play when it comes to fleets and, and depots of vehicles? Certainly to a certain extent. It highly depends on the what we call plug time, because usually fleets, they, they are on the road, uh, like buses, trucks, they make need to make their business. Um, so buses can can be used for bidirectional charging at night, but you need to use the night also for charging the buses. So the amount of time you can use to feed electricity back actually to the grid for for these fleets that have a high operational use is is to a certain extent limited. There are certain times like imagine um, you know, delivery services vans they don't they don't do business on Sunday, so why couldn't we use the Sundays there? Uh, or take school buses in the United States, for instance. Say they bring um, the, the students to to the schools in the morning, and they pick them up uh, later on at noon time. And other than that, you they are sitting idle basically. And you could use their capacity. So there is limited use, yes, but it always depends on the operational scheme of the fleet and the black time. 
So what are the specific technical or logistical challenges associated with bidirectional hydrogen? We touched on a few of them here, especially amongst fleets. So how much do you want me to nerd out now? Uh, um, this is my home turf. <laughs> perfect. So there, there is a couple of things. So um, first, um, technical elements you need to to do bidirectional charging. You for sure need a bidirectional charger, right? Um, today, most of the chargers are unidirectional. So companies like, like Siemens, we are working on stuff like that. So it will be available soon. Uh, there are also vehicles, buses, trucks, passenger cars that are capable of bidirectional charging hardware today. They will receive software updates. And if you ask me, the bidirectional functionality will be a key element going, going forward. So the, we will not see in a decade's time any vehicle that is not capable of bidirectional charging mm. anymore. Just just quickly on that, is, uh, it, um, uh, is it a big change from uh, single directional charging? Uh, to switch to bi-directional charging as it can make things a lot more expensive? Uh, I mean, on, there are two general ways to do so. It's one is via the alternating current, so AC, and the one is with the direct current. It has different consequences. If you go with direct current, um, the conversion usually happens on the wall box, uh, on the infrastructure side, from, because you have AC grid power, and then you transform that into DC for the battery of the vehicle. There are other approaches that do the conversion on the vehicle side, you have a rather cheaper wall box, but a bit more on the onboard charge of the right. vehicles. Right. Um, there, yeah, I would say uh, one third of additional costs that you have to add for such a vehicle onboard charger. And I would expect double the cost on the on the wall box if you do that for DC. That's roughly the cost that we need to take into consideration. So we said vehicle infrastructure, but there's a couple sure. of other technical yep. topics that we need to consider because you need to have kind of a smart meter at your house because um, your grid operator and utility needs to know when you needed certain uh, amount of electricity and when you fed back electricity into the grid. And these meters need to be connected to the internet, um, making it a smart meter gateway. And here, for instance, this is a very different rollout speed in countries. Here in Germany, we have nearly 1% of all households equipped with that and our surrounding neighboring countries have nearly 100%. So we are far behind that one. Um, and this is a, a hard requirement for really bi-directional charging into the grid. And, and there's a couple of others. You mentioned fleets. Um, um, if you wanna receive a signal from the grid operator, now you should discharge or you should charge. This can be also the other way around. You need to have a kind of a receiver or controller box on site. And there's a lot of regulation on it. Uh, you have to have redundant communication channels. It needs to be encrypted. So also these kind of hardware topics are still in the making uh, to scale uh, in, in, in larger parts. And then there's always the question, okay, what amount of money can I make with bidirectional charging? And is that outgrowing my downsides that I might face with my battery degradation? And actually, we did a lot of work looking into this topic with, with internal experts here. And if you do discharging of a battery in a certain limited range, so not a full cycle, but only a kind of a small uh, amount, um, you actually don't cause a lot of additional degradation. Uh, there's always calendaric degradation, sure. and then there's kind of usage degradation. You could limit that usage degradation quite a lot if you keep certain boundary conditions in, in control. So this wouldn't really harm your, yourself. Um, so these are a couple of technical topics um, we are working on 
um, that needs to be really solved and implemented to to make a whole value chain possible. And is it possible to overcome these changes, or and um, from a technical perspective, or is there a case of maybe having to change our behaviors in order to overcome these uh, challenges? I mean, technical topics can be solved, um, and, and we are all working on it uh, heavily to to make it happen. As I said, the first cars already on the road, the first charging stations will be available soon, so that that works out. What is really a limiting factor is the regulatory topic. Uh, and this is, when you dig into that one, is a very fragmented setup. So each and every country, sometimes even within a country, has different rules and regulations how to do bidirectional charging, if they allow it at all. Um, there's things like double taxation. So here, for instance, to keep the, the example of Germany, we have to pay tax um, when we take out electricity from the grid and we have to pay tax again when we feed in electricity. It's double taxation. This, this eats up your profit that you can make by trading your battery into the energy markets and so on. But this needs to be solved. Um, and there's a couple of other topics that you as a private driver of, a, of an electric vehicle cannot directly participate at, at certain energy markets. Uh, you need to go via certain aggregators because there are certain minimum limits of, of power um, capacity that you are able to trade certain things. Um, so also this is not really established. There are some companies growing into that field. It's a new business model. However, um, yeah, it's it's still a limited scope. And we, as for instance, as an international company, we would like to partner with someone. But um, as as every country has different rules and regulations, they also have to partner with with partners in different countries. And not there's not a holistic international company mm-hmm. doing so. Absolutely. And so is this complexity um, a barrier to bidirectional charging? Yes, definitely. So governments are working yeah. on that. Um, they recognize the need, right. um, but you know, politics okay. are not the fastest sometimes. And um, mm. climate change is not waiting for that. No, absolutely not. Um, so why do we need bidirectional charging? How does it help integrate uh, more renewable sources? Uh, and what role does it play in enhancing the sustainability of the electric mobility sector? Yeah, to start with, actually, we conducted a, a study with more than 1,400 executives um, uh, in the market uh, to ask them, okay, um, what technologies do you expect uh, to have the biggest positive impact on, on decarbonization? And they named storage and, and bidirectional among the first three. Huh? So it's it's really um, the key enabler to that. And um that's 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 we need right. uh, as a prerequisite to decarbonize because without having this the storage capacity you have to curtail, curtail for instance a lot of um, renewable energy just as an example um, here in Germany we we had to pay or taxpayers had to pay more than one billion euros uh, as compensation fees to to the spin park operators because they had to shut off the windmills when there was too much excess power in the in the grid so if we could use that power this renewables power stored in our batteries and use it at a later stage when there is no sun and stuff like that where we would have originally used gas fire power plants or gold coal fire power plants this would have a huge benefit first we don't have these curtailment payments anymore and secondly we could increase the share of renewables in the grid hi everyone please do rate and review this podcast wherever you listen it really helps us out means we can make more shows like this and means more people can find us and how about on the sort of on the grid side? How does it 
affect uh, and impact the overall stability and resilience of the electricity grid, especially considering uh, the increasing demand for electric vehicles. And yeah, vehicles. I mean, if you look, for instance, in the United States, um, there's if hurricane season comes along, and this gets uh, more often the, the case, um, they have a lot of power outages. So if you have bidirectional charging, you have your, say, um, emergency power available and just in front of your house is a kind of a generator that would put a lot of resilience to it. Um, we conducted a study here in, in Munich, um, calculated basically what could be the theoretical storage capacity of all the passenger and commercial vehicles um, running around here in just the very city. And it would add up up to 200 megawatts. Uh, and that's if you compare that to the um, share of peak load of Munich, which is around about a, a gigawatt, that's around about a, a fifth of the whole capacity could just be powered by these cars um, sitting in front of our houses. So that's definitely a stabilization factor there. Absolutely. So do you envisage people that, uh, the people that use and, and utilize bi-directional charging, especially domestic um, uses, are going to use their car for their own needs, for their, for their building and for their housing? Or, or will it be as a case as a more of a grid it service? Could be both. So if you have a PV installation at your home, you could basically store that electricity and then use it at night, and by that be become a bit more independent from the grid. Or if you just think hmm. rather than having rather than having like a standalone exactly. battery in uh, the so, garage so, or so that's you know, attic resource efficiency right. because you don't have to to have two batteries basically sitting around to be produced. Um, there could be other use cases like enterprise charging. So if I come with my car to, to here to my workplace and we have several hundred cars sitting in the parking garage, we could use that electricity to, to peak shape, for instance, and reduce the electricity bills and grid fees for, for our company and maybe get some additional benefits for doing so. So there, there's a couple of business models um, that are possible, which haven't really been touched on so far. Um, and um, if you look at the whole value chain, um, you could make as an, as a normal EV car, you can make a several hundred euros of additional benefits by, by trading it onto the market. And, um, this is also for you as an EV driver, uh, you would lower your return on invest because, um, or increase it from the other side. So it's, it's pain, the down payment is, is for, for better. Uh, so is it for the infrastructure because you get every year five, 600 euros in addition, um, to it but you can basically pay off then the, the lease rent for your car whatsoever. Absolutely. And do you see um, flats of apartments and buildings with apartments? If everyone had an EV that did bi-directional charging, that would help with the building management as well. And it kind of split the, you can share the benefits. Yeah, sure. As well. I mean, this is, we call it load management. Um, so you, usually the, the bottleneck is always the grid capacity, grid connection, right? Of a building. So if you combine and integrate charging infrastructure into the building and do an optimization uh, as, as a whole system, you can, for instance, uh, increase charging rates when, when people go home and, and less office electricity is required or just imagine of a factory, the same thing there. Um, and then when you come home to your, to your departments, you can use the batteries to, to power the house, the, the, the flats and so on. So you also need less grid capacity there. Um, this is the big benefit because, for instance, in the United States, your grid fees are based uh, on, on the peak power amount you had at a single day during the whole year. So if you shave that peak, you save a significant amount of money to, throughout the whole year. Absolutely. Really interesting. Uh, and so are the you, you mentioned it just, uh, just before, are there sufficient business models and, and frameworks 
that make bi-directional charging an attractive investment option. Obviously, with the uh, additional hardware costs, it's going to be quite an expensive undertaking. Um, and so is there the business models uh, available, uh, both from a grid perspective, yeah. uh, perspective or a, but also a fleet management or a, just a, a yeah. personal perspective? So the, if you sketch the, the value chain, it's basically you as an EV user, you have a charging infrastructure in your vehicle, and, and then there's the energy market. And in between, you need, as I said, you need a, some, somehow an aggregator to aggregate capacity. And then you most probably need a trader that has registration licenses for energy markets uh, exchanges. So these are the players along the value chain. Um, what we saw now, what, what happens today is really that the, the revenue that you generate at the electricity markets, half of that, around, around about 50%, is given to the EV driver or the, the end user of the battery. Uh, and the other 50% is split between the aggregators, or sometimes there's even a sub-aggregator, and, and the trader. And as long as there are not more players, I think each piece of the cake is sufficient to make, make it a, a business case. But as I said, there might be additional um, business models. Like if, if I come with my private car to my company, to my workplace, and Siemens would benefit uh, from that using my electricity from my car and not to have to have so many fees, I might get some returns for that, right? Um, which is kind of a yeah, peer-to-peer -peer trading uh, on, a, on a micro level, which we are also yeah. looking into it. Uh, you could do that with blockchain and, and, and stuff like that to authenticate and... and um, do, do the trade-offs there. Um, but we are just at the very beginning of, of tapping into these businesses there. So, and that's going to require a whole new generation of sort of software and, and um, platform yeah, development. Yeah, definitely. And, and really peer-to-peer -peer business models uh, and, and um, regulations and operations there. I mean, vehicles, as I said, they will become more and more bi-directional now. What we see on the market coming, charging infrastructure will be smart meter gateway rollouts um, uh, will, will continue to be the case. Then we'll have flexible tariffs. We have all these aggregators coming up and then hopefully also regulation and governments are coming up with more harmonized rules and regulations to, to enable that whole thing, um, which is necessary to, to decarbonize at the end. Absolutely. That, that leads me very nicely on to my next question. What is the current state of infrastructure development, bi-directional charging? Surely um, with this number of, uh, uh, I guess, nodes on the end of the grid, di distribution grids uh, need to be strengthened uh, as a result? Uh, yes and no. Um, so one thing is of bi-directional charging, you decentralize more or less the energy system. You don't need this long transmission lines from the northern parts of a country to the southern parts. Um, you, the whole play game happens more on the decentralized level. Yes, for sure, we need to enhance our distribution grids because everything is going to be electrified. We have heat pumps in our homes, more and more electrical devices come into our life, and also the, the cars get electrified, as I said. Um, so this needs to happen. There's a multi-billion investment on the grid operator side that needs to happen. Um, that's for sure, and, and also charging infrastructure needs to come into play um, at a uh, say cost level that is affordable. Um, for sure, it will be a bit more expensive than normal unidirectional hardware. But as I said, you can make additional benefits out of it and revenues, and this pays off actually your extra costs. Uh, and so what about the role of government and regulation here? Uh, do you believe market mechanisms, uh, market levers will be strong enough to increase the adoption of bidirectional charging? Or is there a role for regulation and um, governments to really... Uh, encourage and incentivize. Two adoption. things. One is removing blocking points because there's a lot of hurdles 
until you get really to the energy market to be able to trade licenses, pre-qualifications, and so on and so forth. Um, and the other thing is really harmonization. Uh, we have such a fragmented setup uh, here within Europe. It is quite fragmented within the United States. Um, and we need to really harmonize to scale at the end uh, because you can't have individual tiny solutions at the end. Um, the energy markets per se are there. So you can already trade today. So stationary batteries are traded today um, on, on, on energy markets. It's just for, for the EVs now to participate because this is a, a storage that is not sitting there. It's, it's moving around. And uh, our rules and regulations haven't considered such a scenario that the storage is moving around. Eh? Also grid code. Eh? If you want to feed in electricity into an electricity grid, you have to comply to certain yeah, rules and regulations. It's called grid code. Eh? There's a couple of technical parameters. So what if I charge in Munich, drive with my car to Paris, and discharge there, which has a completely different grid code than Munich? And this needs to be considered, and this sure. is not harmonized today, and this mm -hmm. is a huge technical um, challenge. Uh, and so you need some sort of leadership from from government yeah. or the European Commission uh, in order to, they, to do that? They've recognized that, uh, that there's a need for harmonization, but as you sure. can imagine, I mean, the energy markets have grown over centuries, basically, uh, and just mm. changing that in, a, in an eye blink is mm. super challenging. I guess you can see some comfort in because there was the recent uh, change where all like small uh, electric phones and laptops will have the same charger are you hoping for a similar sort of thing both on a hardware and software um side of things for for evs yeah hardware if you uh, regard and, and talk on the on the plug itself in europe we have a standard plug design luckily uh, so this this is solved i would say there are a couple of communication protocols that have been recently defined. They haven't been really rolled out yet. And there's a couple of other uh, okay. norms that are not really uh, fully implemented, standardized in, in the making. And as I said, doesn't help if you have in each and every region a different standard. It needs to be harmonized at the end. And just finally, then looking ahead, what do you envision as the future for bidirectional charging technology? And how might it shape the evolution of EVs and electric mobility in the coming years? I mean, at the end, everything needs to be seamless, right? You should not recognize it um, um, because then only it's it's going to be at scale. Um, that's why we work, for instance, on wireless charging, so inductive charging, where you just enter your parking garage uh, and park your car and it immediately via the air gap, um, the, the car basically transmit power. And until the, you go to the house door, open the house door, and by that time already, the car is feeding your house. You will not recognize it. You don't have to plug in a handle uh, and a plug in anymore. That that's my my future scenario, and you will not not recognize it. And we'll have say algorithms, uh, artificial intelligence optimization algorithms that optimize your power consumption at home to trade whenever you are not using your car, traded in the energy market, optimizing revenues there, and you will not recognize it. Besides the uh, the revenues that you see at the end of at your bank account yeah. of the month. Huh? <laughs> Absolutely. It sounds very sci-fi having just to drive your car up and then suddenly it's powering your house. Um, but it sounds like fun and sounds like a, a, an interesting future. Stefan, thank you so much. Really interesting. What about your background? How did you come to work in electric mobility? Actually, I started as a consultant in the energy business here at Siemens. Uh, did a lot of consulting for renewables project because I for myself decided I only want to do jobs that really has a certain purpose. I have a certain purpose. 
Um, okay. That for hmm. me is my my attitude. So that led to to these to these different jobs here at Siemens, and then I uh, I did a PhD on power transmission lines because I really a decade ago I recognized that the transmission lines and the grid will be one of the bottlenecks in, in decarbonization because we need to feed in all the electricity that has been built in these renewable power plants. Um, so I basically my PhD was about how to uh, accelerate these transmission line plannings and rollout and so on. Of course, it takes decades to build a new transmission line. Um, so and then yeah. I was always a car guy. Um, and then if you're in the energy world and you have a car guy, if you combine both, you end up in e-mobility. And this is what I'm doing since five years now, developing Absolutely. charging infrastructure <laughs> for that. Post. How fun. What kind of what kind of cars? I mean, everything. Um, it should be fast. Uh, it should be nice looking. Um, mm -hmm. And this is e-mobility is a perfect space for that because they some yeah. not everything, but some electric cars look a bit more futuristic, which I like, and they have a huge okay, acceleration yeah. and, and torque, which is fascinating. If you once have driven an EV, they never get back to an internal combustion engine one. Absolutely. Yeah. And so what inspired you to, you mentioned you wanted roles that kind of make a difference. What inspired you to do that? Because you, I mean, you have limited time on this planet, right? And I have two kids and I don't want to leave them uh, a planet which they have really challenges with. Um, you know, this is from a micro perspective. We all know that we have limited forces to do so. And, um, but that what I definitely wanted to do is use my lifetime um, and, and work and helping um, to have a small puzzle piece to the whole uh, decommodization story. That's amazing. Uh, and it must be a very exciting space to work in right now, especially with the new generation of uh, software engineers and, uh, and um, graduates coming into the space, bringing a lot of more creativity to it. Absolutely. Yeah, and artificial intelligence, for instance, is a huge trend that will speed and accelerate yeah. uh, this oh, transition. So we have to combine that in, in products and solutions. So this helps a lot. Yeah. Are you working in working with artificial intelligence? A lot. Now? A lot. Uh, oh, me. A couple of cool. our products have that integrated and because computing power is accelerating uh, and um, a lot of edge devices now become really supercomputers. And this helps a lot putting some stuff into our charging infrastructure and do crazy things with it. Absolutely. Stefan, thank you so much. One final question uh, before we go. It's something I ask all of our guests on Energy Enablers. Will the energy transition succeed? Oh, uh, yes, it needs to, but it will be, in my opinion, too late with the consequence that we have to have certain burdens and costs that we could have avoided if we would have been a bit faster on that. Absolutely. Well, we will live in hope. Stefan, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thanks again to Stefan for joining me on this week's podcast. You can really hear Stefan's passion for all things mobility uh, come through that conversation. Let us know your thoughts and join the conversation with other experts by becoming a Foresight member today. Visit foresightmedia.com or follow the link in the show notes to get a one month free trial with full access to the website and app. And until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you.